Hello! Welcome back again to the Coffee and Comics Podcast. I'm your host, the caffeinated Clinton Robinson. If this is your first time joining us, welcome aboard. And this is a podcast where hopefully we cover something in the comics-related field over the course of time that it takes maybe to drink a cup or two of coffee. Well, those of you that have stuck around for a while know that I like to say this is a place where the comics are never too old. Well, this time around, I'm putting my money where my mouth is, and we're diving into Prize Comics number 10 from 1940. Specifically, we're going to look at the Black Owl story from that issue. I would love to tell you who worked on this book, but I can't. There are no creator credits given. I couldn't find any online. If anybody knows anything about these stories or this particular issue as far as who worked on them, Please let me know. I'd love to hear back from you. But as it goes, let's dive right into it. Late one night, while on patrol of the city, the Black Owl sees a man falling out of a window. Black Owl saves the man, who just so happens to be Barney Dunn, star reporter for a local newspaper. Dunn informs Black Owl that he didn't fall, but was instead pushed out the window. As they depart, Dunn tells of how a man came to his office weeks earlier to cut him in on a deal or so he said. Pay ten dollars for ten weeks and get a free car. Part of an advertising scheme, the man said. But when Dunn went for his car earlier that evening, he was announced as a member of the Hundred Club, and suddenly beaten by thugs before being tossed out the window. Black Owl and Dunn go to visit Terry Dane, a woman who has a vested interest in rackets like this car scam. Terry is a bit of a private detective, and gives them all the information she knows. The three decide that they will need somebody to serve as a dupe. Terry and Barney decide to ask Doug Danville, a rich playboy and Black Owl's secret identity, for help. Black Owl rushes home to accept the phone call as Doug, trying his darndest to make sure Terry doesn't figure out they are one and the same. Doug naturally agrees and speeds to the auto sales in his civilian identity. We see him begin to discuss things with the salesman, but our view suddenly switches back to Terry and Barney. They decide to hightail it to help Doug, just in case the Black Owl doesn't show up. As they barge in, Barney harasses the salesman about having him beaten up. But before things can get too intense, the salesman's secretary pulls a gun and fires a warning shot narrowly missing Barney. Once things settle down, the salesman says he honestly thought Barney was somebody from another firm trying to harass them. The advertising scheme was on the level, and he actually was entitled to a car. As the salesman shows Barney and Terry the new car, they ponder if Doug got his. Doug didn't. Doug got jumped just like Barney had earlier and tossed out the window except Doug quickly switched to his Black Owl costume and climbed back up the window. Black Owl soundly thrashes the men and ties them to a rope dangling out the window. As Terry and Barney drive off, the salesman tells his goons to go after that car and bring it back. So much for being on the level. Turns out he had seen Black Owl save Barney earlier and was merely trying to save his own hide. Black Owl overhears this and shakes down the man for information before speeding off to attempt to save his friends. The goons catch up Terry and Barney, but soon after, so does the Black Owl. He leaps from the car and begins taking out the gunman, but Barney's no slouch either and does his fair share of fighting. 
The goons eventually rat out their boss as the head sales clerk, obviously, and Black Owl races back to the dealership with Terry and Barney in tow. A newspaper man's gotta get his story, you know. As the salesman and his secretary-slash-bodyguard attempt to escape, Black Owl emerges from the duo's getaway car. Terry joins in the fighting this time, taking on the secretary. Our three protagonists take the situation well in hand, and afterward the Black Owl says he will toddle off, while Terry and Barney explain things to the police. Okay, let's take a promo break, and I'll be back with my thoughts. It was 1938. The country continues its slow recovery from the Great Depression, while war clouds loom throughout Asia and German aggression builds in Europe. Americans seek comfort and distraction. It was a time when the most popular form of entertainment was radio, but a new form had been growing steadily and was set to explode. It was to become the golden age of the American comic book. My name is Chris. And my name is Mike. Please join us as we explore comics in the golden age between 1938 and 1955. All genres will be discussed, from superheroes to crime, horror, science fiction, humor, and western. So join us for the Comics in the Golden Age podcast, available through iTunes and Stitcher, and visit us on Facebook or at comicsinthegoldenage.com. And we're back. This was 13 pages of Rock'em Sock'em Golden Age action. That's exactly what this story is. Okay, so Black Owl is probably one of the most obvious of all the Batman clones of the era. He was created by Robert Turner and Pete Riss and first appeared in Price Comics number 1 in 1940, although he wouldn't be Black Owl until Price Comics number 2. See, I did find a little bit of information about the creators. He served as a street-level hero fighting criminals, mobsters, and the like. This story serves as a perfect example of what could be done with the Golden Age. A simple crime story where fists fly for sure, but fun and well told. Reminds me some of the earliest Superman stories in action comics, but without any superpowers. Black Owl's art wavers from amazing to subpar, but manages to always convey exactly what the plot demands of it. Even when proportions get a bit cartoonish and exaggerated, the art still works. Black Owl's costume, aside from the strange yellow and black patterns atop his cowl, is pretty basic, but also elegant in, in its simplicity. The simple spandex suit with cape motif works. He's generic Batman and proud of it, darn it. All in all, this is a l- great little romp and a blast to read. And to top it all off, Price Comics are in the public domain. You can read this and other Black Owl adventures, just like I did, over at the Digital Comics Museum for free. The scans are crisp and clear, sometimes to the detriment of the art, but it's still a worthwhile read. Alright, it's time for another quick promo break, and I'll be back to go over some listener feedback in Espresso Yourself. Hi, this is Batman. Whenever I lose my memory, I head over to the batmanuniverse.net and check out the podcast, Bat Books for Beginners. The Bat Books for Beginners podcast breaks down and analyzes all of my adventures so I can remember how to get to the Batcave, which Robin I'm working with, and where I parked the Batmobile. 
Chris and Jerry, the hosts of Bet Books for Beginners, are honest about how well I'm serving the citizens of Gotham. Sometimes too honest, I'll have to talk to them about that. If you wake up one morning and think you might be Batman and have just lost your memories, go over to the BatmanUniverse.net or iTunes and check out Bat Books for Beginners. Now, if I could just figure out who this old man cleaning the Batcave is, that would be great. I asked my friend Scott Snyder and he didn't know. Don't be a supervillain. Visit the BatmanUniverse.net and listen to Bat Books for Beginners, also on iTunes. You'll be glad you did. Bat Books for Beginners is part of the BatmanUniverse.net Bat family of podcasts. Don't listen to Bat Books for Beginners when operating heavy machinery or juggling. If you listen to Bat Books for Beginners for more than four hours, call your doctor. Bat Books for Beginners is part of a balanced diet. I'm going to have some coffee. What do you want, some uh, milk or... Uh... What, milk? Coffee's fine. Yeah, I drink it. I'm hip. I don't know. This is espresso, you know? It's like coffeezilla. I said I'm hip. All right, and we are back with Espresso Yourself, the feedback portion of the Coffee and Comics podcast. Wasn't a whole lot of direct feedback this time around. On Twitter, Gregor Rougeau let us know that while he has enjoyed Gallagher's work, he was able to tell that The Only Living Boy was indeed a labor of love, but by that he meant that it's dear to Gallagher's heart, not that it was something that he just couldn't get through. Speaking of Twitter, we got favorites and retweets from David Gallagher, The Only Living Boy, Gregor Rougeau, Comic Social Club, Daily Steve Ellis, Magician's House, Hill Nadell Agency, The Longbox Crusade, Xenozoic Xenophiles, Dara Hyde, David Hyde, Nethead, Tony Wolf, Sheaf Walker, Dylan A. Lang of Dylan Knows, both Chris and Professor Frenzy of Bat Books for Beginners. Big Wonder World, Joe Crawford, Cash Flag, uh, Comics in the Golden Age, Ryan Daly, Laurel Mountainflower One, Ange, Trekker Talk, Rad Adventures Network, Brian Mulvey, Poison Ivy League, and Avatar of the Green, which is a blog dedicated to Swamp Thing. Over on Facebook, we also got likes and shares from Gene Hendricks and Greg Arusho. No new iTunes reviews this time around, but that's okay. I appreciate all the likes and shares from everybody. It's really good that you get the word out there. I appreciate all the love. So that about wraps it up this time for another episode of the Coffee and Comics Podcast. Just to let everybody know, you... You can email us at coffeeandcomicspodcast at gmail.com. You can find the website over at coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. You can always get in touch with us on Facebook or on Twitter. Twitter handle is at coffeecomicsblg. So until next time, remember that this is the Coffee and Comics Podcast, where the comics are never too old and the coffee is never too cold. Thanks for stopping by.